Welcome to the Bioelectronics Podcast by Neurocore. I'm your host, Rick Rowan, and this is where we can hear about how bioelectronics is changing healthcare and providing benefits to both patients and healthcare systems worldwide. Hey, ready, and welcome to this week's episode of the Bioelectronics Podcast. You'll notice that it is a different voice welcoming you to the podcast today. I'm James. I am the co-host of this podcast normally. Somewhat delighted to say that Rick's not here today, so I get to take the reins of the podcast. And with me this week, I have Chloe Stockwell-Clark. She is the Chief Technical Officer at Neurocore. Welcome, Chloe. How are you doing? Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. So, Chloe, we're going to talk today about what a Chief Technical Officer does at Neurocore. We're going to talk about your background. We're going to talk about your expertise, particularly in microcurrent. As a clinician by background, obviously, I've obviously got an interest in this and have done since I started helping you with this podcast and yeah, keen to get into it. So I suppose, yeah, kick us off with a bit of your background, a bit of your story and tell us about what a chief technology officer at Neurocore does. Yeah, sure. No problem. So um, from graduating with a cell biology background, I instantly had a huge draw to the medical device industry. I was really lucky to find my way into a world-leading medical device company, and I worked within a role in trauma and orthopedics. So from the word go, I had a really great insight into the actual direct clinical applications of medical device and the end user experiences and the differences that can make, and also the quality of medical devices and what goes into them as far as kind of the R&D and the evidence base. From there, I wanted to go more into the devices themselves. So as a second stage, I ended up working for a company that only specialized in microcurrent stimulation. I went into the company as a skeptic of microcurrent, soon to be convinced, though, as my job was a representative of the science for microcurrent. So this involved understanding the evidence for it, the mechanisms, the parameters, and all the technical aspects around a device that uses microcurrent. I was there to put the continuity between the mechanisms of action um, to the parameters that were being used to elicit these benefits and the intended outcome of such devices. I found it incredibly fascinating from not only a cellular level, but from an outcome perspective. And I could see ways in which this could be done a lot better and the ways that we could optimise formulation for different applications and that kind of thing. So I was looking for not only companies, but people that shared um, the vision of what could be done within the bioelectronics space. Um, And this is where I came across Rick at Neurocore. And he very much was interested in the parameters that were being used. But it was the fact that these weren't going to be fixed parameters. And that's exactly how bioelectronics works in that you don't have a set idea of a set formulation of what you want to use to achieve a particular outcome. You start with what's the outcome and what is it that you're trying to achieve with a particular product or an application. And from there, a huge amount of evidence, but ways in which we can formulate a whole range of different parameters um, in order to achieve the goals. And it's got to be flexible in that when new evidence comes through or new ways to be able to do it better, you need to be able to have the flexibility to adapt what you've got in order to optimize its application. So obviously that was an absolutely ideal way to do it and something that I wanted to be part of. So Rick very kindly took me on board. And my role within Neurocore 
you know, Neuralk has not been around for a huge amount of time and we've done made so, so much progress in the meantime and our roles have had to adapt in order to fulfill the needs of the, the organisation. So now I do everything from uh, managing and supporting the technical direction of the products across all of our business verticals, um, helping to optimise the new electrical formulations within the, in our products and also developing the future products and the next generation of bioelectronics that we have coming through, which involves things like personalised applications as, as well as other things such as the incorporation of AI. So it's an incredibly exciting area to be in. And one that kind of has been part of a much longer journey uh, for both myself and uh, now the journey of Neuracle, really. Awesome. It's it's an incredible background. There's so much you've talked about there that I think is worth us digging into. The first thing I suppose that I want to go to is this element of studying cell biology and becoming somewhat of an expert or certainly very well informed on the biology of a cell being initially skeptical of something like microcurrent, you know, you've worked in medical devices and you've seen that stuff yet still potentially a skeptic of microcurrent, but then obviously learning more to not only overcome that skepticism, but really see true value at both, you said, a cellular level, as well as that kind of patient outcomes based level. Talk to me about that skepticism of microcurrent initially. And I suppose the journey through losing that skepticism and then flipping the other way and and turning it into that kind of optimism. What was it that took you through that journey? Sure. The the first thing I noticed about microcurrent and the published research that was out for microcurrent was there were different areas where microcurrent was being used. For instance, wound care was one of them. There was a range of different uh, reported mechanisms of action for microcurrent. So it was beginning to understand, well, how could this possibly be the case and how could something be so versatile and work in a number of different ways? So that's what I wanted to kind of really drill down to, whether that was really possible from a cellular level. So, for instance, one of the mechanisms of action that has been reported was ways that can promote mitochondrial health and increase ATP production. So as that's a cellular process, that was instantly, well, how could that possibly be the case, (laughs) not only from what's being published, but from a mechanism of action on the cellular level? So if you've got an understanding of things like cellular respiration and how ATP production is made, you would know that it's a multi-part process. And one of the final stages, for instance, is the electron transport chain. This involves the influx of electrons, very similar to how microcurrent works and how actually that could facilitate um, the production of um, ATP as an end process. And then you look at, for instance, the reported mechanisms of action that have been reported around wound care. And this, for instance, is more about restoration of cellular current, recreating the skin battery effect across a particular wound um, or an area of dysfunctional tissue. And then you drill down and say, well, how is this possible on a, a cellular and a tissue level? You then marry up and say, no, that's absolutely possible. Why that would be the case. So when you start knowing how useful it is and what the different mechanisms of action are and the parameters that are responsible for that, that allows us to then manipulate or modify our microcurrent programs when being used for a particular purpose. 
for instance, whether it's for something like more maintenance tissue and joint health, or whether this is more for a specific application such as uh, wound care, if that makes sense. Mm. And I suppose as a naturally evidence-based person, you understand how you can have theory and then you need to test it for it to become, I suppose, more common knowledge or practice, or I'm sure there's a more academic word for it than that. But you understand that process, right? And I think what's interesting is that learning about cell biology, you obviously know about the electron transport chain, which by the way, takes me back to very early days of medical school. So I'm not going to potentially butcher any explanation of the electron transport chain, but I know that exists. And it's funny in my mind when you when you hear microcurrent, because you don't really know what it is, as someone like me on the more clinical side, you wouldn't necessarily be able to create a theory there to even test because just simply it isn't common knowledge, if you know what I mean. It wasn't something we were taught in medical school that you could apply current to do any of this stuff at the cellular level. And I'm wondering if that was the case for you. So in, in that learning of it, did you... Not, obviously not learn about microcurrent and therefore that's where the skepticism started and is it through your own i suppose thinking of the physiology that has led you to joining those dots or is it then and i imagine this to be true you're then actually seeing it in reality because you mentioned actual patient outcomes there yeah no I think you've hit the nail on the head there as far as what I wanted to see for this particular modality was more continuity between the different types of studies or published research that was coming out, whether it was in patients, whether it was in vitro, whatever it was was being done. I wanted to see the continuity there in order to kind of put the full journey of it together because... The other modalities, for instance, things like peripheral nerve stimulation or neuromuscular stimulation, the pathways and the mechanisms of action and the types of studies there are all very conclusive, but they also follow the same kind of pattern. So it's really easy to understand the mechanism of action for something like peripheral nerve or neuromuscular, (laughs) whereas microcurrent was very different in the respect that you know, there's some really brilliant papers showing things like angiogenic benefits of microcurrent or anti-inflammatory um, benefits of microcurrent. So for us as a company, it was incredibly important to have what we consider to be world-leading expertise on microcurrent, because not only do we have a really good understanding of its mechanisms for all these different types of applications, we know all the different ways that we can formulate it for particular outcomes so not only does this make the microcurrent that we provide we believe to be the most effective most advanced we also then have a huge amount of scope as to what we can do with microcurrent in the future and this is all based on the evidence base of what we know already but with our own clinical studies and clinical trials as part of our R&D process as any other company would we can continue to build upon that making sure that we stay using the most effective microcurrent, but then we can also add value to our proposition by being able to explore new areas or ways that microcurrent can be used. So for instance, we see um, microcurrent has been used in the past and there's been some really, really promising results of it, but using at times some very, very basic forms of microcurrent. So this is why we know moving forward, there's uh, so much more we can do with it. 
based on what's already pre-existing. Yeah. So that what I want to that leads me on to what I want to talk about next, which is this concept that there is there is no singular way of delivering electricity to the body. There is no singular way of delivering that percutaneously. There is no single way of delivering that even through microcurrent. There are so many variables. And I suppose what I've learned working with you guys is that I think a lot of the research around microcurrent, as you've said, may have suffered because of a more primitive understanding of it. And so two similar studies might have on similar amounts of patients trying to look at a similar, you know, method of action or whatever it is, might have used two completely different formulations, i.e. that microcurrent was delivered to the body in completely different ways. At the time, they have might have thought it was the same um, or just might have just delivered it in a slightly different way just because of any old reason. But I think what's interesting here, I think, is the specificity, even as it relates to microcurrent and how it's delivered. So to create an evidence base, which it sounds like you guys are doing, right? You're actually creating an evidence base of, well, this formulation applied in this way is delivered this result. And this formulation applied in this way is this result. And then I don't want to use the buzzword, but I might about AI and how that might work down the line to different patients and personalization and all those different things. But I think ultimately this starts with a phrase, flex, well, it's, about, it's about flexibility, creating that evidence, right? And being flexible in your application to my current to deliver that and, and create that evidence based. So talk to me about the different parameters that can change the variables, if you will, when it comes to administering microcurrent to the body. So this is such an interesting topic and I'm so glad you picked up on it. So all of the bioelectrical modalities, unfortunately, are a victim of this issue. And microcurrent in particular is one of those. So, for instance, we know changing one of the key parameters in a particular way can significantly affect the outcome or its intended use or how well it will do for a particular thing. So in a lot of the studies that we have seen, even the ones that have yielded positive results, we look at it and quite often believe that the application or something about that particular study is suboptimal. And then we've seen you know, the occasional study where there's not really been any significant results, but to me and from our perspective, we can see there would have been an absolutely fundamental flaw in either the parameters, the way it was applied, when it was applied, or something to do with the methodology that we think is absolutely not spot on. And then the result is exactly how we would have expected yeah. for that particular um, methodology. But that's what we've gained through kind of our knowledge and experience over time. So for instance, through our application of microcurrent and our other modalities to some extent, it's based upon the evidence and what we know about each of the parameters and what each of the parameters does. But it's also built upon a lot of um, experience, a lot of user data, and also to some degree, a lot of common sense, um, which sometimes does go amiss as far as things as simple as pad placement locations, things like that. So, so much goes into it and to getting a positive outcome, which starts with 
the parameters used and making sure they're optimal for that thing. It then goes into the way it's applied, how it's applied, when it's applied, <laughs> and a whole host of different things. So as far as our users are concerned, NeuroCore tries to encompass all these different elements to help ensure that everyone gets the favorable outcome that they're looking for and the reduction of pain that they're really desperately trying to seek. And I guess as part of a company, that's that's part of our kind of experience and our knowledge growth. And um, I feel like we're at a really, really strong point as far as the industry is concerned for this. But that doesn't mean that we will not forever search for new and better ways to do um, any part of that. And what, what have you seen and what, what would be your takeaways from the last however many years you've been looking at bioelectronics and looking at microcurrent specifically what are the what are the changes in the industry that you have seen i think the reason i asked the question is i've seen presentations from big medical device companies that have had that have, have got implantable bioelectronic devices and neurocore is percutaneous in the way in, in its delivery it seems that implantable is it is very mainstream now you know very very mainstream i've seen presentations from patients that couldn't walk and i could walk again because pain signals are being blocked and all these all these different things and forgive me for potentially butchering that physiological explanation of how implantable bioelectronics works but they may have explained it to me that way but anyway the point being there's clearly been a, a shift and a movement for bioelectronics in general if you are to include you know, implantable devices as well, invasive devices, uh, you might also call them. Is it a matter of time before percutaneous is swept away in the same way and thought about in the same way? Do you think it is thought about and seen in the same way? Is that what you'd hoped? Where, where, what have you seen in the industry and where do you think the movement's going to be? So this is a great question. Um, as far as transcutaneous um, electrical stimulations concerned, I believe it's been really underserved as far as the industry is concerned and it's very much catching up and I, I expect will overtake invasive. And this is for a number of reasons. So unfortunately for a long time, uh, the transcutaneous non-invasive side of electrical stimulation has been provided with, as I go back to suboptimal, basic or unoptimized forms of that technology. So this is where NeuroCore is doing something very different. And you get the invasive side of pain management. And for us, we see that very much as a last resort technology. And many people often find themselves in that position because things like transcutaneous technologies in the past have not always been uh, effective enough for them. So this is why... Uh, we're catching up in the terms of the transcutaneous applications becoming more and more effective. People are finding it as an absolutely suitable and viable long-term solution and a non-pharmacological solution for managing their pain. And then they're not getting as far as the steps of needing um, invasive surgeries. I mean, there certainly are um, advantages to the um, invasive surgeries, and I, I certainly wouldn't knock it. But you also have to understand there's huge disadvantages to the invasive surgeries. So this is everything from the operational theatre cost to device costs, which can range up from £10,000 plus. Um, there's the entire, you know, it is a huge burden on the NHS. There's operational risks as far as, you know, you know what the risks of mm. surgeries are, everything from infection, uh, that kind of thing, post-operative recovery, and also 
the simple challenges as far as recharging devices after a certain number of times yeah a lot of which we can incredibly mitigate um by having um you know highly effective transcutaneous technologies mm. that people can use from the comfort of their own hands Home, home, homes even <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i agree and i think it, it is interesting isn't it that those implantable devices are not afforded to everyone with chronic pain far from it and i think that accessibility and ability to have something in the hands of everybody is far more likely to be realized through as you say a transcutaneous method which i accept i may have said percutaneous before but you're right transcutaneous method you know the clearly that is going to be an easy way of delivering anything to the body without having to go through a surgery to to put something in and so by definition then the furthering of this field from a transcutaneous perspective is only likely to benefit all those individuals. Yeah, no, absolutely, for sure. And I mean, people normally end up in a surgical route when no other intervention yeah. has been successful, but that's the area which we are disrupting the most um, with people who are finding transcutaneous to be successful. So that's obviously a huge um, role that we're starting to play in that. And uh, yeah, it's really exciting for the patients too. Awesome. Before we wrap up, you've used Neurocore, haven't you? SI joint pain. I have indeed, yes. <laughs> um, so back pain. Um, for people listening that I suppose may not be, or if you're not medically inclined, you may not have got it this far, but if you have, congratulations. And actually for those people, when you put Neurocore on your back for that pain, how do you think about it? What do you think is actually going on? that those those little electrical pulses those electrons as they leave the pad and enter your skin and go into the cells what do you imagine is happening and it must be working when you're using it right sure i mean th this kind of enters in a whole new um, <laughs> area of discussion I, I guess we probably don't have time to go into too deeply um but when we're looking mainly at pain uh, the primary modality for that of course is um peripheral nerve stimulation even for that modality in itself there are a range of different mechanisms in which peripheral nerve stim can help alleviate and manage pain in ways that they as a whole, to some degree, are described as a pain pathway intervention. So it's not a pain pathway intervention as such in that we're saying it directly does it. We're saying that there's a range of different mechanisms that can contribute towards pain pathway intervention in order to help people to mitigate the feeling of pain and become more comfortable. Um, so for me, that was uh, sacroiliac joint pain, which I suffered from terribly during pregnancy and after. Unfortunately, during my first pregnancy, I wasn't aware of such technology and it certainly could have made things a whole lot easier for me. And I got to compare that in stark contrast with my second pregnancy, um, which arguably it was worse, but I did have access to such technology. And it was the absolute difference between being able to sit at a desk and be able to do some work and then get on with being able to do stuff to absolutely not being able to do any of those things at all um, and being completely immobilized um, by the pain that it was causing me. So uh, the difference was uh, night and day in that respect. And that just lends itself to one of the other applications for PNS and also touches on slightly the point that the role of bioelectronics in femtech and the range of different um, health issues that women suffer from, from everything like 
postpartum recovery, periods pain to endometriosis, to pain that women experience uh, during menopause, is a whole other area where we know that bioelectronics is going to play a huge part in. And we also know with the addition of, as you say, the AI and the personalized treatments, it's going to take that even to another whole level. So that is certainly an area to be watching out for as far as bioelectronics, uh, femtech, and the different modalities that we can use there uh, for it. So it's super exciting. And for the scientists and clinicians and people who are just evidence-based and evidence-minded in their approach to things, where would you direct people to look at credible information and research for them to potentially swing them from a skeptical point of view as you were to one that is truly informed about what's actually going on in this space? Sure. I mean, as anyone looking for evidence for anything, um, looking at peer-reviewed research publications are always the first thing. But I would also recommend that people first understand what particular application they're looking for evidence within. And also together understanding of what type of technology or bioelectronic modality is relevant to that particular thing. Unfortunately, one thing within the bioelectronics landscape is there's a lot of disparity between the different terms that are used. Um, There are terms that are not accurate. There are various other ways of describing the technology. And you might find yourself, for instance, finding only a small amount of information if perhaps using the wrong term, uh, for instance. So it's about just knowing what you're looking for and then using all the the known credible routes to find that, if that makes sense. It does indeed. Chloe, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It's my pleasure. You're most welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Bioelectronics Podcast by Neurocore and for making it to the end of this episode. If you enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. We'd much appreciate it. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow us on all of our socials so you don't miss out on any of the latest electronic content.